stuff. I love debuting new things, and uh, this is a fun new one. We've been scheming this up for a little while, and I can't say thanks enough to Blackfoot Communications because they have believed in all of my podcasting dreams. They've been uh, sort of the spearheading and presenting sponsors of a variety of different podcasts from the Big Sky Breakdown to our Nuanas Now podcast with ESPN Missoula uh, to our Grizz Greats miniseries at chronicling uh, first the Montana coaching tree and men's hoops and then the 25th anniversary of the Grizz 1995 National Championship team and now one on the other side of the Continental Divide and one I'm very excited about. This is the inaugural episode of Catching Up with the Cats. This will be uh, this first season. Uh, we're going to talk to guys that I've gotten to know uh, personally, guys that uh, I, I've had a chance to cover their careers at Montana State. Uh, for a reference point, I came back to Montana uh, late in the fall of 2010 when Montana State was in the midst of the first of three straight Big Sky Conference championships. And uh, this upcoming season will be, I guess, count them up, my 12th year covering the Bobcats. So uh, first and foremost, thanks to Montana State, too, for uh, believing in uh, everything that we've done, especially as an independent guy, because I came back to work in newspapers when newspapers were still going okay and uh it uh, it, it hasn't gone as well for newspapers we're not here to debate or, or talk about that it does make me sad but um i'm happy to still be doing it still be in the sports writing game and uh, still be in the radio and podcasting game as well and so this first season will just be featuring guys uh that i've gotten to know along the way we'll feature i got a long list i'll probably have about oh 12 to 14 episodes we're doing one a week throughout football season uh all the way probably until right up around christmas time so uh, just having some fun, you know, rehashing some old memories. There's nothing serious or hard-hitting about this. I just kind of want to recap some of the best times because Montana State has had a ton of success uh, over the last decade or so. Bobcats have had a ton of success during the Big Sky era, all the way back to 1963 when the conference was founded. Of course, a couple national championships there uh, during the Sunny Holland days in the 70s and then the Dave Arnold days in the 80s. And uh, But I think that, honestly, the, the modern era, the last 10 years, could widely be considered probably the most consistent era of Bobcat football. Bobcats made it to the playoffs uh, six times during those 11 seasons, won the Big Sky Conference Championship or shared it four of those uh, seasons. So it's been a lot of fun to cover Montana State. I feel fortunate to be kind of the guy that was on the ground floor of all of it. Uh, but a guy that was certainly on the ground floor and had a front row seat to it all and uh, definitely one of the we'll call him a pioneer in terms of the rebuilding of this thing because he was a guy that um, was a captain for that first championship team in 2010 which sort of laid the foundation for all the success Montana's had, Montana State has had since then. He's Mike Person. He's an offensive lineman for the Bobcats and then he played in the NFL for nine seasons and uh, definitely had one of the best pro careers of any guy to ever play at Montana State. Mike Love having you on, man. I know you've been talking a lot lately because of the coaching change in Montana State. I know you're super engaged and interested in your alma mater still, which I appreciate so much. But thanks so much for being with us, man. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. This will be fun. I like this uh, little series that you got cooked up. So it, uh, it should be fun going down memory lane a little bit if I can remember anything. <laughs> well, you're you're good at remembering a lot of things. You always got good stories and good memories. But let's start before we get to the memories with the here and now. What have you been up to? You you, you just retired pretty recently from the NFL, and uh, a weird thing, you know, to be retired when you're in your early 30s and sort of having to remake yourself. Uh, but where are you at in the world? What's going on with Mike Person? Yeah, uh, it uh, definitely a little weird being 33 years old and you know being quote unquote retired, but. Uh, no, me and my family, we live out here in uh, Dublin, Ohio, just northwest of Columbus. It's a suburb. Uh, 
last in February, this previous February, I uh, started Five Dot Offensive Line Academy out here training high school kids. Uh, Hopefully we get some college kids here this next off season and, you know, it, uh, it's been fun. So that's kind of what's keeping me busy right now. And, you know, it's, uh, between that and chasing the kids, I, I got my hands full. That's for sure. What do you think of the, just the, the differences and, and, uh, just the dynamic of talent in that part of the world? Ohio has always been regarded as one of the, the hotbeds for all of college football recruiting ton of great high school players, in that neck of the woods, I know the Ohio Pennsylvania All Star Game every year is kind of like the who's who of going to the, who's going to the Big Ten and the SEC. So when you're working with these kids, mm-hmm. uh, how does it compare to, to kids you were around growing up and, and in the Big Sky and stuff like that? What do you think of just the talent out there? Hey, it, the talent out here is it's tremendous. It really is. Uh, I mean, as for the kids, it's they're the same kids that we grew up with in Montana. You know, they they want to come to work every day. They they want to get better. That's the big thing that you see. It, it's not that they're doing this because mom and dad told them they have to. You can see them really wanting to learn how to play this game the right way um, and believe in every word that you say. Uh, so it, they're a ton of fun to work with. High school football out here, it's pretty cool. I Last year was obviously a little different for everywhere in the world, um, but – this year, their full go went to a game last Friday. There's about 7,000 people there. Watch a couple of my guys that I work with. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's cool. It really is. It's fun. What's it like being a coach? Is, is, it, uh, is it strange or uh, does it come naturally to you? It, it kind of comes naturally to me. You know, last year I coached at our local high school here, Dublin Jerome. Um, and at first it was a little strange, you know, but you kind of feel your way into it um, and you get comfortable doing it. And I, I've always known that I want to coach. Um, and when I retired, we had just moved here. So I didn't want to make my family up and leave for a coaching job somewhere um, with either college or NFL team. So I decided to do this. And You know, this has been a lot of fun because you interact with them, you know, three, four times a week. And you see, you kind of learn how to push what buttons for each guy. And I mean, figuring that out is kind of the fun part for me. You played for some great coaches too. At Montana State, Jason McAdoo, one of the best coaches I've been around, period, position coaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you played for some really good ones in the NFL, including uh, Tim Drevno, who also has some Montana State and Big Sky ties when he was there at the, with the San Francisco 49ers as well. So uh, do you take from mm-hmm. those guys? Do you sort of see yourself sort of uh, channeling them when, when you are coaching the kids? Yeah, no question. I mean, obviously I would have liked to be with a lot fewer teams over the course of my NFL career, but one big positive that I have from it is I got to see and learn from coaches on every end of the spectrum. You know, it, whether it be Coach Solari and Drevno my rookie year in uh, San Francisco to Tom Cable to uh, John Benton my last two years in San Francisco to Joe Philbin when I was in Indy, Andy Heck in Kansas City, you, you, uh, pick up bits and pieces from everywhere that you go. So it, it, it was looking back, it was pretty great. All the knowledge that I was able to learn from all those different offensive line coaches. 
Catching Up with the Cats, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications in Montana. New podcast series chronicling some of the best players from Montana State football over the last decade or so. And Mike, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you got some Butte roots, but you grew up in Glendive. So just take us through when you were mm-hmm. playing high school football in Glendive, because Glendive has produced a lot of good athletes, but a lot of the guys from Glendive, uh, guys and girls from Glendive, have been basketball people, uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. football people. So uh, when you were first in high school, what do you sort of remember about those times uh, there at Dawson County? Oh, I mean, uh, playing high school football there, it was, it was great playing for my dad. He was our head coach. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I met Coach Kramer. I was probably in seventh grade and went out to lunch with my parents. And uh, Coach Kramer was doing his eastern swing of the state and just so happened to go to the same restaurant as him. Now, not that there's a ton of restaurants in Glendive, but uh, <laughs> we, I, uh, I, that, I remember meeting him the first time there in seventh grade. And, you know, I was kind of hooked from then on. And said this is what I want to do this is I want to play college football and you know it uh there it was nice having my dad as a resource to coach me and after all of his knowledge and playing in Glendive against those Eastern A teams that uh you definitely build a cast for resiliency because really anywhere in Montana your closest away game is an hour away you know I say that to kids here and they're like far as I say travel is maybe 30 minutes because there's so many high schools here but you know it uh it, it was it was pretty special it was those those Friday nights in eastern Montana they're uh they're a lot of fun they are the dynamic of growing up in small town Montana is is fascinating to me as well because so many towns in Montana that are based on industry, whether it's ranching or agriculture or logging or mining. And some of the guys, I mean, so many of the guys that we've seen and been around that have been great players for the Bobcats and the Grizzlies and, and Carroll College and everybody in between, they come from these you know, working class, old school backgrounds. I think a lot of times, so many of these guys that come from these class C schools, they acclimate to college football in terms of the schedule more than anybody because they're not fighting to wake up early because they've been waking up early to to help with the chores <laughs> since they were young. I mean, Mac Bigdell should tell me that all the time. Like a kid from Drummond, Montana, he's like, man, getting up to lift at six is nothing. My dad was kicking me out uh, of a bed at four thirty when I was growing up, so I get to sleep in when uh, you're acclimating. But is, what about Glendive? Because Glendive kind of has a lot of of different uh, influences in terms of what makes the makeup of the town. It's sort of a railroad town that also has some agriculture so do you think any of that sort of stuff influenced you well it, it definitely does you know it uh, glendive it's ranch and farming town railroad town but now that the railroad's pulling out pulling out of there you know we'll see how that goes but also the oil fields are right there so you uh you get accustomed to seeing people who put their nose in the dirt and just do what they need to do every single day you know it uh and it like in high school during the summers i worked with my dad and our shop teacher we we would uh roof houses you know and frame and all that construction like like construction stuff and the same thing you know dad he'd kick me out of bed at five in the morning in the summer so that we can go work and then we'd get done with work then be three four o'clock have to go get my lift in for the day. So it, 
you know, you're, you're completely right. The kids from the smaller towns, they definitely acclimate to that level of football in terms of the schedule very quickly because they've been doing it their entire life. You know, that they've never known an easy day. Um, so it, uh, it's a special breed of people really throughout that entire state back home. And, you know, it, it's, it, it really is pretty, you're pretty lucky to grow up there. Oh man, alive. You're so like, we're so lucky to grow up in Montana, man, especially the more I've traveled around the country. America is a great place, a beautiful place, but there's really nowhere like yeah. Montana, man. Montana is about as good as it gets. And the older you get, the more you really appreciate it. How would you define just Glendive in general? I mean, I think that one thing that's always been funny to me is it's defined as the smallest independent media market in the in the uh, United States of America. It's market like 194 or something like that. But I think that also speaks yeah. <laughs> to just sort of the, the independence of people in that uh, area as well. So, I mean, how would you just describe Glendive itself, the town and the makeup of the people and uh, just everything in between? No, the town itself, I mean, blue collar. Uh, I mean, we don't have any big industry jobs there, but I mean, everybody knows that the only easy way is the hard way, um, if that makes sense. But, yeah, the makeup of the town is it's just good-hearted people who look out for each other, but, you know, they, they put their nose down, they go to work every single day, and that, uh, that rubs off on kids that grow up there and teaches them how to work, and then they pass that on. So, it, like I said, it's just lucky to – grow up there because now I can pass that on to my kids, even though we don't live there. We live out here in Ohio, but I mean, the same things ring, ring true no matter where you live. And it, uh, it was a special place for me. You mentioned the first time that you saw the big human and Mike Kramer <laughs> is one of my all time favorite guys, not just coaches, but just period. I, I don't know what it is about our connection, but uh, every story he's telling, I'm listening. Every joke he's telling, I'm laughing. I just think that he is just the funniest and one of the most unique people I've ever met. He's like, he's almost like a villain in a in a good superhero movie, except for that he's not evil. He's just this hilariously smart yeah. and just overpowering personality. And if you love history and you love to listen to people orate and remember things uh he, i mean this guy could have like a, a history class or something or he could have like a, a youtube channel just talking about the history of anything it's amazing to listen to him talk but uh, i love coach Krams. but when you were a young man though when you were just a teenager and you, you ran into him and then you first started uh, talking to him and learning about montana state football what did you think of the big human i mean i, I was enamored from day one you know it uh, such a big personality um to fit the size of the man. And, you know, it, it, he just sucks you in when he's telling stories, man, he, you're, you're there hook, line and sinker. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just, like you said, he's a special human being and he just pulls you in with the way he t- talks and tells stories. It, he just, I, I can't put my finger on it, but man, he's, he was a lot of, a lot of fun to be around. <laughs> Do you have any definitive memories or stories about Krams or just things that he told you or, or, you know, just things that you learned from him or, you know, just anything that you could share with, with the folks just about, uh, your, your time around him? Yeah. Uh, so I remember 
when they him and Coach Mack were coming out to do my in-home visit uh, when I was in high school, and it was basketball season, and they were going to stop by practice, just watch practice. So I asked Coach Selvig if that was okay, and he was all for it. So I'm at practice the entire night, you know, kind of peeking at the door the entire time, seeing if they're showing up. They're not there. Practice is over, so I go home. And then they're like, oh, we'll just meet you at the house at 7 o'clock. Well, 7 comes and goes. And this is winter in eastern Montana, so it's probably snowing and freezing. So 7 o'clock comes and goes. They're not there and waiting by the front door. And then finally about 8 o'clock, I see a car pull up in front of the house. And sure enough, him and Coach Mack get out. And, like, it's a quiet neighborhood. Nobody's outside. It's pitch black out. And all of a sudden, I'm inside still. I just hear Coach Kramer go, Michael, get out here. You know, just in his big booming <laughs> voice. And I'm like, Jesus, Coach, it's 8 o'clock. Calm down. I didn't say that to him, but that's what was going through my head. But then he comes in, and, you know, it, he had known my dad for a while, but we didn't even talk about football for three hours. And it, I just remember that in home visit. And that was the night I actually committed uh, to MSU. Uh, but yeah, he, you just sit there and you listen to him and he would just go on and on, but it wouldn't drag on like three hours. felt like 20 minutes being around him. Um, so yeah, it just, there's little things like that. Just the way that he communicate knew how to communicate with different guys. Um, like, someone be having a tough day, he'd pull you aside. And if he knew you're a guy who could take it, he'd get all over you and tell you. But if he knew you're a guy that wasn't, that wasn't able to take it, he'd sit down, talk calmly, softly to you. So he, uh, he had that quality of speaking to people that definitely I want to learn more of how to do. Love Coach Krams, man. We got I got to get him involved in my radio show. Every time I call him, man, he's on the tractor. But I got to get him because he's just he's as good as gold every <laughs> single time. Uh, take us back then to your early time at Montana State because I know that one thing that's always a definitive memory for guys that play on the lines, particularly, is when they first kind of break in. Maybe you're on the scout team, or you're you know you're red shirt, or you're, or you're, or you're uh, in your second year as a red shirt freshman or whatever. Who you got to go against in practice every day? There's always the the older guys that baptize you, whether you're an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. So what do you remember about those early days, and who were you sort of battling against? Who was the guy that was kind of toughening it up, Mike Person? Oh, shoot. So I remember when I first got to campus, uh, Coach Mack said I was going to go with the twos at right tackle. All of a sudden, you know, your butthole gets a little bit tighter. You're a little bit more stressed. Like, holy smokes, I'm actually – here playing college football because most freshmen come in and play with the threes, get a few reps, you know, here and there. But I was with the twos and, oh, uh, shoot, uh, Rayshon Bobo. He was a transfer from Washington State, I believe, at the end. And, I mean, that those first few weeks were absolutely a nightmare trying to block him. Um, so he, he kind of introduced me to the pass blocking side of Big Sky Conference football. Um, being a, a transfer from an FBS school, you know. And then uh, Brandon Hoffenbacker, we we are kind of family, and he would show me the paces, you know, every so often. Uh, shoot, why am I forgetting his name? DN from 2007. Oh, oh, 
it's right on the tip of my tongue. But yeah, I mean, all those guys, they, they, they welcomed you to the show. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Brandon Hoffenbacher was one of the biggest man children that ever lived, man. That guy, I remember he's the exact same great as me. And, uh, uh-huh. He was not pleasant to go against because not only was he 6'4", 290, but he was also just so mean, man. That guy was a load. Yeah. Yeah. He he, he was something else. So he, he, I had known him for quite a while because we both have a cousin. So his – well, I won't get into that. But, yeah, we're, we're family. So I'd known him since I was about four years old. Um but yeah, he uh, he was a mean sob. He just he he would put you through paces. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Trying to think of the the DN, not Dane Fletcher, because you probably remember that. Was it uh, was it Papich? Aaron Papich? Yeah, that it was Papich. Yep, it was Papich. I remember. Uh, so you remember Peter Jensen? Yep. We were we were in uh, the locker room getting ready for practice, and Peter he just yells out, "Hey, Papich!" person said he wants you in one-on-one today i'm like this is like the first padded day of practice i'm like no i didn't shit <laughs> and sure enough he comes up he just kicks my ass and <laughs> it uh it was a welcome to the show that's that's for sure your head is spinning the entire time you're there that first training camp uh in college and you know but that's that's what gets you ready can't get too down do you remember your, your first game or stretch of games when you first kind of got onto the field and broke in the starting lineup? Yeah, so like, that's a great question and story. So my first start was at Texas A&M. It was the first time I'd ever been on a plane, so first flight in my life. And we're going down to Texas A&M to freaking play them. They had Jonathan Jolly, Red Bryant, uh, Michael Bennett, all on the D line. And then I had a guy named Chris Harrington playing the end. So I'm, I'm super nervous about that. Get there, go through the walkthrough on Friday. And I'm walking back to the locker room because we did our walkthrough at their indoor bubble. I'm walking back to our locker room in the stadium and sitting there thinking, shit, I didn't see my helmet in, uh, in my travel bag. So I'm starting to stress a little bit and, keep on walking there, get there, walk a little bit faster, get into the locker room. And sure enough, I'd forgotten my helmet. So first plane flight, nervous as heck, starting at Texas A&M, forgot my damn helmet, but luckily they brought another one. (laughs) That's unbelievable. So you were, did it actually fit? Yeah, it it fit. So I was lucky with that. You know, the game ended up going okay uh, for me play-wise but man that was oh I'll never forget that I'll never forget Peter he was he'd always be the antagonizer and he he was walking out he heard that I'd lost my helmet and he just yells so the entire locker room heard it person you forgot your helmet god you're a dumbass (laughs) (laughs) oh god were you worried about the coaches being mad Oh, I, I was terrified that Coach Mack would be livid, but he was <laughs> he was fine with it. Coach Mack at first thought that Peter hid it from me, <laughs> so it uh, yeah hit. Uh, I was worried that Mack would blow up on me, but he didn't. He understood, and you know he gave me shit for 
the next four years that I was there about that. <laughs> well, Jason McIndoe was a guy that has helped me a tremendous amount in, our, in my career. I always was able to vibe with him good just because I always loved offensive line play as an offensive lineman myself. But uh, at that moment in time, he was such a young coach. So what was it like playing for a guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is such an exceptional developer. So I guess a two-part question. What was it like playing for a guy who was still in his 20s? And uh, secondly, though, what is it about him that it, it seems to get the best out of guys? Because you're just one of a long line of guys from small-town Montana that Mac turned into you know first-team All-Big Sky and All-American caliber players. Well, the big thing is he's so detailed. You know, there's no gray area when he's teaching things. It's either this or it's not this. Like, you do it this way. These are your rules. This is your job. This is how you have to do it. I'll teach you the techniques to do it. But there's no gray area. This is what you have to do. So when you're being that clear, especially with young offensive linemen, I mean, that sets it in stone that this is how I have to do it. This is how what I need to perfect to do that. And he has the drills to get you there. And one of the cool things about him was when I was in college, every single year, first meeting of training camp, um, he would hand everybody a personality test, you know, just to see the best way that you learn. And he, and he stuck to it throughout the season. It wasn't just some BS thing that he would hand out and then forget about. No, he knew how each guy learned and how to coach that guy. So the extra steps that he would go through just to make himself a better coach rubbed off, rubbed off on us because we knew that we were getting the best coaching possible from him and we were getting his best every single day. So we had to give our best, if that makes sense. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more it absolutely does and uh, i think that the dynamic of those uh, early rob ash teams too are so uh, interesting because of a couple different things there was the carryover of the guys who came to play for kramer there was sort of that irreverent attitude mm-hmm. that was just defined by especially guys like bobby daly and dane fletcher who were just played with such an edge defensively and uh, i think that that was sort of one of the maybe undertold factors of sort of the, the build and the rise when when ash took a lot of the momentum that kramer had already established and uh, then started building it up which then culminated in your senior year in 2010 with that first championship uh, but just talk about that element of things just the fact that uh, when the coaching change happened i guess first start there uh, when when coach kramer was let go i I know that that was a unbelievably controversial situation and we don't have to go too far into it just because it has been something that's been hashed out Mm -hmm. so much but uh, as players i know that especially a lot of you montana guys just loved playing for kramer so when that was going down what was sort of the the thought process within the program i mean there's just so much confusion because it happened in may you know we're getting ready for to go into summer and then into you know, camp. Um, and I don't, I think it was about a month after Crames was fired that coach Ash got hired. So there was just so much uncertainty, you know, it, it's just one of those things that 
had it happen in January, yeah, you can you have more time to process it. But you know, it, it, we were lucky because a lot of the older guys that going into that season were like, "All right, this is what it is. We all love cranes, but we need to buy in right now." You know, to this to Coach Ash, and we need to make this work the best that we could. And I think we did do that. You know, we only had we only had a couple months before the season started, so. You know, everybody bought in. It was definitely uncertainty for me because coming out of spring ball, Coach Mack told me that I was going to be the starter um, at right tackle. And uh, I just remember Coach Kramer's getting fired. Coach Mack was the one who called and told me. And, you know, I'm like, shoot, is, are they going to keep Coach Mack here? What What's going on? And, all, you know, just it goes into a whirlwind. It really does. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was the foundation set by Coach Kramer, and then the older guys carried that on for the next year. Now we were only six and five, I believe, that year. Um, but it was the way that they responded to it. You know, they didn't just shut it down just because their guy, who they've had for four or five years, is gone. Um, they brought all the young guys along and said, "This is what's going to happen. We're still going to." buy into this program, even though it's a different um, voice standing in front of us talking about it. Um, and, you know, I, I think that carried on, especially with my class, with me and Mikey and uh, Jordan was a year younger, but he was still our class because he didn't redshirt. But Tanner Ripley, you know, all those guys, we carried that in, going into the 2010 season and saying, hey, this is it. You know, how do you want to be remembered? And we need to do everything possible that we can to make this season as successful as possible. Is there a comparison there to what Montana State's got going now? Because I, I do think that uh, it was sort of it's, – it's not a controversial firing like Kramer's was, but Choate leaving was mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a – I mean, not sort of. It was a huge deal. I mean, it was the news story in Montana for yeah. a month straight, and uh, he was such a dynamic personality, is such a dynamic personality, and uh, he had done such great things as the head coach for the Bobcats before uh, leaving to go to Texas. Uh, but I'm just so curious about this group of guys because this – group of of Montana State players now they have so much veteran talent and I think that they have an opportunity at least to uh, if they can acclimate properly to Brent Vegan and his style or even if they don't if if it's just about the players and the players lead the way that that it it, it could be sort of a similar scenario yeah no question I I think I mean everybody obviously loves coach Choate you know and super grateful for what he did for the program but the biggest thing he did is he made the culture what it is today, you know, and I, the higher I, from the outside looking in, I'm not obviously around the players at all ever, but um, you know, it, it seems like similar mindsets. Now it, it's yeah. The between coach vegan and uh, coach Choate, they seem like to have similar mindsets. So the culture that was built with coach Choate, that needs to be carried along with the current players and, you know, enhanced by whatever coach vegan wants them to do. And I think, like you said, we have such a veteran group that they're mature enough to know that this is it. You know, this it's like I said earlier, it's just a different voice talking up in front of us, but we're still going to be tough SOBs. You know, we're still going to punch you in the mouth. We're still going to 
run the ball, play good defense, and we're all we're going to do it the right way. We're going to play technically sound, you know, and you know you're not going to get an ounce less from us than we had for Coach Choate. No question. It's a, it's one of the most fascinating dynamics of what uh, we do in, in terms of analysis because it's not always just about the talent on the field or the execution between the white lines. There's a lot of different uh, factors that go into it. It's catching up with the Cats, chronicling some of the great players from Montana State over the last uh, 10 or so years. It's brought to you by Blackfoot Communications. Mike Person joining us, uh, a Glendive native and a Montana State All-American before playing nearly a decade uh, in the NFL. And Mike, let's talk about that uh, that 2010 season because uh, I remember uh, the, the game in Missoula, one of the c- coldest games I ever covered, uh, but Denarius <laughs> McGee and Lorenzo Davis and yourself, Mike Ryder, Jordan Craney, you mentioned some of the, the key figures on that team, but uh, a slugfest, one of the hard-fought Grizz games of all time, and uh, a moment in time to be sure, because Montana State wins in Missoula to secure a Big Sky Championship, and at the same time, ends Montana's epic streak of 17 straight playoff berths, and uh, that was sort of the beginning of the rise of the Bobcats in terms of uh, the having the upper hand in the rivalry and being the premier team in Montana, and uh, that was also sort of the beginning of what was a tumultuous decade at the University of Montana, and uh, it was a unlikely to result to be sure because of some of the players that Montana had at the time. I mean, Chase Reynolds fumbling on the goal line. No one could have ever predicted that result. And Chase obviously, you know, wiped himself off and then went on to have an outstanding NFL career as well. But uh, take us through that season and then that culminating moment when you guys were able to secure the Big Sky Trophy and the Brawl of the Wild Trophy on the exact same afternoon. Yeah, it was, I'll never forget that season. You know, it we just had such an awesome group of guys with being our senior class. We've been through a lot and we wanted to maximize our time there. So all summer we were having cookouts together. You know, it sounds small, but it hadn't happened before that summer for, at least for us. Um, so we were having barbecues, you know, and just team get togethers, you know, getting to know one each other, like a kid from Glendive, Montana, hanging out with Denarius, a kid from Trinity, Texas. Right. So it, uh, we're, we're just trying to make that one big group, you know, cause we knew, um, and Mikey was really the spearhead of this writer. We knew that if we were all together, that nothing was going to bring us down as corny as that sounds, but it's truth. Um, you know, and you know, season started off. Okay. We should have beat Washington state. Uh, but, we didn't. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. But we chose that just because we lost our first game doesn't mean that we can't do better. You know, just because we lost by two to a Pac-12 team doesn't mean that we can't do better. And we had that mindset. Now we had our ups and downs, you know, homecoming against Portland State. I think we're down 16 nothing going into the second quarter and found a way to come back for that. We had laid an egg against Northern Arizona that year. Uh, just did, we didn't play very well as a team. Um, Before you keep going, we got to go. You skipped especially. one game because you're remembering everything except for I think you probably forgot the game the first weekend of October because you probably almost died. It was the game at Sac State. It was a 64-61 overtime game. Oh, God. And I remember thinking, yeah. these guys oh, need yeah. help, man, because these guys are going to melt in the Sacramento heat if this thing keeps going in another overtime. Well, before that game, we had four or five guys get stuck on an elevator 
at the hotel. Cause so Sac State's locker room is so small. I, I think we got dressed at the hotel and I think Everett Gilbert was one of them. Uh, but yeah, we had four guys stuck on the hotel. They got there 30 minutes before kickoff. And then on top of that, it's like 110 on the field that, yeah, that game was freaking hot. And, you know, we're, we go into halftime, we're up 30 to seven or something like that and feeling good about ourselves. And then all of a sudden Sac State starts coming back and yeah, that, that, that game was wild. 64, 61 in overtime. I mean, we, we, uh, found a way to pull it out. I wish it wasn't that close because we could have iced it there in the third quarter, but you know, that that's just kind of the way our team was that year. We, uh, if things got rough, we tightened it down and, you know, we found a way to, to get the job done. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. But then you mentioned the, the great comeback against Portland State, a tough loss at NAU, which was, you know, NAU was actually good that year, and uh, Flag always a tough place yeah, to play. And then Northern Colorado had actually kind of been a thorn in Rob Ash's side a little bit, um, even mm-hmm. though they've always been sort of towards the the bottom of the league. But uh, then you guys, he had this stretch where it was just winning close games, close games, close games. So take us through just kind of that last month because it was. It seemed like you guys were, you just believed. You just were pulling them out no matter who you were playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's what it is. We just believed in each other, believed in ourselves, believed in what we were running, especially offensively. Um, and we knew with number nine back there that he would get us out of some tough situations now teams started to game plan him a little bit more so we had to pick some more up on the ground and that's what we did our offensive line was pretty damn good that year if you ask me but um yeah it uh we just kept finding a way finding a way and then we had the bye week right before cat grizz um and you know it kind of batting down the hatches you know everybody stayed in bozeman i don't think Many people even watched football the weekend before Cat Grizz just to get away from it because they knew that this was it, especially for us seniors, and because we hadn't beaten them while I was there, and you know there there was that mindset. And then we go into that Cat Grizz game, and like you said, coldest freaking football game of my life. That's for damn sure. Jesus, you look at the film and snow's blowing one way, but then look on the north end zone, it's blowing the opposite way. It was just circling in there a 20 below wind chill and that uh that was a fun memory that was a fun memory coach mac i'm, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here but so coach mac's philosophy was always no sleeves for cold games and you know we were always like yeah all right we got this and then uh we were just joking we come in after warm-ups and he's standing there all bundled up in a big winter jacket it's got his heavy heavy gloves on and I think it was Alex Terry, and he's like, Coach, what the hell? Like, you won't let us wear sleeves, but you can wear your winter jacket. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Takes off his winter jacket, just wears a polo out there the entire game. 
I mean, he was he was freezing his butt off. You could see him shivering on the sidelines <laughs> trying to make adjustments. But you know, he he's just that that's the type of guy you want to go to bat for. You know, but uh, yeah, that that game was a roller coaster of emotions. That's for sure. With Chase fumbling on the right on the goal line, you know, Mikey getting the interception at the very end there. It uh, was a hard-fought battle. First half, we were rolling pretty good, put up 21, and then they shut us down in the second half. And it just kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter. You mentioned number nine. That's Daenerys McGee, one of my favorite guys. Loved working with him throughout my career. Uh, he's just uh, he's an original, man. He's, he defines what I think of what people from Mississippi mm-hmm. are like, by way of Texas, of course. But he's no. just so gregarious and funny. Uh, but it was a it was a crazy circumstance then because Montana State had Cody Kemp, who had come in as a transfer from Oregon and had been uh, okay, solid, sometimes even good. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this redshirt freshman mm-hmm. takes the program by storm. At what point did you guys know uh, what, what sort of talent he was and how was he able to uh, establish himself as that kind of leader and signal caller at such a young age? I mean, just the way he carries himself. You know, it, it, he you could tell from day one he was a confident kid, but he wasn't a cocky kid. You know, he, he believed in what he could do. And especially that first year, I think what really helped him is people looked to him and he led by example. He didn't really say say much but you could just tell that this is a kid brimming with confidence and I want I want to do everything I can to you know help him deserve that confidence if that makes sense but yeah he he was a special character you know I'll never forget always giving him shit trying to take him down a a notch or two uh not let his head get too big but uh you know, I, I love Denarius, and I still try and keep in contact with him. He's obviously pretty busy these days uh, doing his quality control job in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that kid. And, you know, I think about 99.99, well, basically everybody on our team loved him too because he, he, he didn't come off as fake. He, he was a genuine guy, and that's what you got every single day from Denarius. And one last question about your college days before we get into just a couple memories about uh, the NFL. Um, one thing that I find so cool, and I hope always is a part of the programs in Montana, both Montana and Montana State, is sort of the, the reverence and, and respect that that guys have for the guys that came before him, uh, before them. I know that there's always that emphasis. You know, we didn't we didn't get here by ourselves. We didn't build this thing all by ourselves. And I know that 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 group that was just right before you, including guys like Dane Fletcher and Bobby Daly, like those guys. They sort of were, were on the, the front end of, of helping you know, build that foundation. And so I just talk about kind of those guys, too, because, you know, your senior class definitely did it and led you all the way to the mountaintop of the Big Sky Conference. But uh, there was a lot of influential guys that uh, probably helped teach you guys a lot of things beforehand as well. Oh, yeah, no question, especially in my freshman year. Guys like Will Claggett, uh, obviously Bobby, uh, Joe Hurst, um, Lawrence Figueroa was gone. He was, was a year before, but him and Jeff Bolton, they'd come in while I was there. You know, that's what makes college football so special is everything is handed down, you know, and the guys who buy into that, that those are the teams that are successful who embrace that because yeah, you're going to have a new, new team every single year, but 
you know, there's a tradition to it and having guys pass that knowledge down to you. That's what makes college football so special, no matter where you're at. And just being around those guys and being able to learn from them and hear their stories and guys like Bobby and Dane, seeing how they worked every single day, you know, it, it rubs off on people. It truly does. And the more guys you have like that, obviously, yeah, they're no doubt. They're really good football players. Oh, you have a lot of good football players. You're a good team. No, it's the guys who show up every single day and don't take a day off. Like the epitome of that, my, uh, in our class was Tanner Ripley. You know, he played six man in in uh, high school, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, you talk to guys from those teams, 13 through 14, if they bring up his name a lot, because he, he was the epitome of showing up every single day and fighting and scrapping and doing the work you need to and doing it the right way. And that's what the guys of the past passed down to the future generations. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Yeah, he definitely did, did have a huge influence for sure because I know that a lot of those guys, like you said, that came uh, a little bit down the way there in like 12, 13, 14, like John Widenauer and uh, Matt Tebow and a lot of those guys, especially Deontay Flowers, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that were involved in that Grace Bible Church too. Uh, Tanner was such a good mentor for those guys too. I mean, even all the way down to, to Derek Marks and, and guys recently as well. So it is awesome the way that uh, mm-hmm. the traditions are, are sort of passed out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the NFL because I think that you have uh, one of the most one of the most awesome NFL stories of any guy that's come out of the state of Montana because you're drafted by the 49ers and then you basically lived out of a suitcase until like judgment day basically until you couldn't be on a practice squad anymore and then you got a break and another break and then all of a sudden you're a starter and you're in the league and you're a legitimate player and uh you know living the nfl dream so uh just take us through sort of the path because i'm sure at first uh, when you were bouncing around practice squads and moving all over the place probably uh, a pretty difficult circumstance so uh, what what kept you in it and uh, what was that like just in the early years you know the early years were difficult um Obviously, you know, I was never technically on the practice squad. I was always on the active roster, um, except for six weeks in Seattle. But, you know, the the bottom four or five guys on the active roster, they're just as much in limbo as guys on the actual practice squad, those other 10 guys. But, you know, it, what you, I wish I knew then that I know now is just roll with it and don't stress about it because especially my rookie year, you know, I worried every single day that they were going to cut me and that I'd be out of there and then my career would be done, blah, 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 poor me, sob story. But I wish that I had just, you know, just said go for it and don't worry about that stuff. But, uh, yeah, but you're not wrong in saying that I was living out of a suitcase, but uh, some of my best memories come from 
especially those early years, meeting my wife my rookie year there. Um, and it, uh, it, it, I wouldn't change a thing, to be honest with you. I wouldn't because it taught me so much resiliency being a kid from a small town in eastern Montana, being able to see all these different places and, you know, all these different people that I would never meet in a million years. Um, it, it teaches you a lot of the person you are. I think that a lot of times, too, people that love and follow football that are football fans, they forget about the human element of this thing, too, right? I mean, athletes are athletes, but they also have mm-hmm. real lives. And, you know, they have to figure out things like, where am I going to live? But I got to ask you about the, the relationship part mm-hmm. of this because you meet your wife your rookie year. But how do you get a girl to buy into, hey, baby, you know, I, I want to be with you, but I might get uh, cut tomorrow. <laughs> we might be moving the next day. I mean, that seems like a, a tough sell when you're trying to get yourself and keep yourself a girl friend i know right it's uh it's hey i'm not a superstar i won't be here for five years i might not even be here for another week but uh no i i lucked out with my wife she's been on board since day one she's made every single move with me and you know she's what makes everything go behind the scenes while i was playing um and still does (laughs) to be honest with you but you know it uh I, I don't know. I just, I lucked out with the type of person that she is. And, um, it, it's been, it's been something. So uh, there's always, there's one little thing that I try and pull from every team that I've been on, uh, as the blessing that I found there, but, uh, she's definitely the biggest one. And, you know, the human element is that's what fan it gets lost on fans so much. Um, cause these guys are, they are fighting for their jobs every single week at, may look easy sitting on your couch at home, but trust me, it's not when you, uh, we don't just show up on Sundays. It's seven days a week that we're doing this stuff. It is true. But Nate Potter, who's now the tight ends coach at Montana state, he, uh, he played in the NFL for a while after coming out of Boise State, and uh, I, you know he had a great line the first time I ever interviewed mm-hmm. him. He said, "You know, it's the hardest job in the world in terms of the competitive edge you got to have, and you can lose your job at any time. But every day you're in the NFL is a damn good day." <laughs> so, I mean, do you agree? I, it had yeah. to have been uh, so awesome to to just experience playing uh, in maybe the most competitive league in the world. No question. I mean that that, that quote is. 1000% on the money. I mean, it, it sucks day by day sometimes, um, you know, the waking up at five thirty because your neck, your knees, your elbows are so sore, you know, you can't even move your head because everything's locked up back there. But you know, what I wouldn't give right now to be able to do that again. It, uh, it's such a special, special feeling. It really is. Who was the biggest uh, thorn in your side or pain in the ass or, or just biggest beast that you, you remember going against? Oh, so biggest thorn in my side, my rookie year, and then my second training camp, freaking Justin Smith, man. Oh, man. You, he was – he. people don't realize what this – human could do and i don't even know if i would call him a human he (laughs) i remember we were god we were uh staying in youngstown because we had two east coast games back to back um so we were working out at youngstown state and this is the monday after a game so we played cincy 
flew to Youngstown, and then we were flying to Philly on Friday but or Saturday, something like that. But we played Cincy, and then Monday, the next day, we have to do our uh, post-game lift, you know, flush out the lower body, squat, all that. I remember Justin comes in, and he's this big human from uh, from southern Missouri, and walks in, yells at the strength coaches, the Youngstown State strength coaches, hey, what's y'all squat record in here? And they're like 675 or something. And goes, all right, let me warm up, then we're putting it on the bar. And sure enough, I mean, he could have probably done it five times. (laughs) (laughs) This is the day after playing an NFL football game where most guys don't even want to move out of bed. But he's – and he – didn't drink pre-workout. He'd walk out to practice with his cup of coffee, going to work for the day. And I mean, he, another story for him. I mean, I remember first, first one-on-one pass rush in pads, my rookie year. Um, first day in pads. Remember Mike Upati going up there at left guard and Mike's not a small human either. He's about six six three fifty, And he was going against Justin. And I didn't really know about Justin Smith at the time. And I was like, oh, Mike's Mike's got this one iced. And Justin literally picks Mike up off the ground and just drives him back to the blocking dummy that was acting as the quarterback. And I was like, that was my, oh, shit, welcome to the NFL moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Justin Smith, man, you're right. I don't know why he doesn't get remembered a little bit more because, I mean, this guy was like a five-time first-team All-Pro. I mean, he was, you know, he had close to 100 sacks, and, and uh, a guy that could play up and down the defensive line, just just an absolute freak. Uh, definitely a guy that uh, deserves more credit when people are talking about some of the greats because he's one of the best guys of his generation for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I remember one sack that he had in our playoff game my rookie year against the Saints. He pushed the left tackle back for us. The left tackle was in between him and Drew Brees, so Justin reached over the tackle, grabbed Drew Brees' shoulder pads, and just threw him on the ground with one arm while while pushing the left tackle back. I mean, it, it, the dude was just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I love it. Uh, any other uh, good NFL stories before we get you out of here? Oh, man. Top of my head, man. I'm trying to think. I remember Aaron Don. Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more.